you can be veered off of your path and you can change your plan, but your dream doesn't have to change. So the plan can change, the dream doesn't have to, and the dream shouldn't just because the plan changes. Hi everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 23 of the Learn With Lyle's podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Stephanie Karam, a career counselor at Ontario Tech University. In our conversation, Stephanie spoke about the common struggles that her students talk to her about surrounding their program and career decisions, the messages she has for people who are trying to figure out their educational and career paths, and some words of wisdom for those whose journeys are going differently than originally planned. I feel like I relate so much to Stephanie's students. Significant family pressures, career uncertainties, and program dissatisfaction were all things I experienced big time throughout school. And having someone like Steph would have been so helpful back then. So I know that anyone who's going through these things will certainly benefit from what Steph has to say. On top of all this, Steph also had some great tidbits of wisdom for anxiety management, embracing your unique path, and dealing with societal pressures surrounding timelines. I loved having this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. Do you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So where do I begin? I guess I'll, I'm Steph. So I am, currently I work at Ontario Tech University as a career counselor, but I am designated as a registered psychotherapist in the qualifying category. So I recently obtained my designation a few months ago. I graduated last June from Western University from the Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology program. And four months after graduating, I got my job at Ontario Tech. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm currently doing. Nice. Congratulations. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, didn't you go to Mac? I did. Yeah, I did my undergrad at Mac in psychology, neuroscience and behavior. So I was there for five years. And then I took a year off in between my undergrad and my master's. The main reason being I didn't get into Western the first time I applied. So I took that as a sign to take the year off and I traveled quite a bit and um, worked a couple jobs that taught me what I really didn't want to do in the future and then got into Western on my second try. And yeah, I pursued Western from 2017 to 2019 and here we are. Nice. Yeah, that's so funny. I went to Mac for my undergrad and then took a year off, did a little bit of traveling in there and then did my master's at Western as well. I know it's crazy how our trajectories are very similar. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, and then we both worked at Ontario Tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what made you decide to become a career counselor? Well, to be honest, it kind of fell into my lap. So it was kind of a happenstance job. It wasn't something that I ever thought that I would pursue after finishing my master's because during my master's training, I wasn't trained in career counseling at all. I was primarily trained in mental health therapy. So I did, um, so during my internship at Western, I did a split internship with psychological services at, on the Western campus and learning skills services. So like I provided mental health support for students, mental health therapy for students, and then mental health therapy with an academic lens for students as well. So I didn't do anything career counseling related. I wasn't trained in career counseling at all, but 
the I knew I wanted to work at a post-secondary institution, whether it be a university or a college. So I kind of I set up my entire master's to be geared towards the post-secondary demographic. So I focused my thesis on, on the student demographic. I focused my internship on the student demographic. And I contacted, um, or I sorry, I knew I wanted to work locally for the first however many years of my career. So UOIT and Durham College seemed like the kind of the only options at the time. And so I reached out to Monica, who's the director of career uh, of the Career Center at Ontario Tech. Mm -hmm. I reached out to her, I would say, halfway through my master's. So I, at the beginning of my second year. And I let her know that I would ultimately be interested at working at Ontario Tech and I conducted a mini informational interview with her just to gain a little more insight about her team. And she gave me some tips, um, a couple tips to let me know, um, like to give me some insight about the, in, uh, the interview process. And I kept in contact with her over my last year of my master's. And then a career counseling position came up and I thought, oh, I'm never, I would never be qualified for this because I don't have any careers training. I haven't been working in the field for three to five years, but I think the fact that I'd kept in contact with her and I was really persistent in my communication, um, that, it basically got me the job I want to say was that networking piece so it really kind of just fell into my lap at the time mm -hmm. that's so smart that you were like seeking out the things that you were looking into that's cool yeah I would say that networking is key Mm -hmm. really tough because a lot of the time it doesn't seem like people really want to talk to you or really want to take the time to be connected with you in some way but like persistence is honestly key. You just have to keep showing your interest and eventually, eventually it shows that that's what you really want. So that's my biggest piece of advice for job seekers. Yeah, that's definitely good advice. Um, what about, what was it about uh, like post-secondary education and students that you um, were drawn to that kind of area? Oh, that's a good question. I, I just knew that the student demographic it's very complex and I especially like working with students who are transitioning from one area of life to another because a lot of the times there's not adequate support for students who are going through transition periods and as you know transition periods are incredibly tough so when I was transitioning from like even undergrad to grad school I felt like I felt extremely overwhelmed and I felt um, like kind of in over my head and it felt like this really really big thing I mean it was a really big thing but it felt huge and so when I entered into my master's I just I knew that I wanted to work with students because a I loved being a student like it was it was such an awesome experience and I just love the complexity of the different transition periods and of the student experience so I love um, the complexity of transitioning into first year from high school, transitioning into a master's program, transitioning into the workforce. I just think that what students go through over the course of their academia is so interesting and is so complex. And I thought it would be really cool to gear my research to the student demographic to gain more insight about how they seek help on campus for their mental health. And I thought that that would tie in really well to my internship, which was working 
directly with students in a therapy setting. So I used my thesis to inform my practice and I used my practice to inform my research, which was a really cool experience because if you can apply both theory and research, or if you can apply both theory and practice to whatever you're doing, that it's really valuable. It's really cool to do that. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just fascinated by students. I think they're so complex. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's so much to figure out when you're a student. And yeah, you're right. Like, especially during those transition periods, I feel like, yeah, going into first year, then going into grad school and like, yeah, even fourth year, like when school was coming to an end, I always had a breakdown at some point during those years. Yeah, it's, it's an incredibly deep experience that I think from an outsider's perspective, you can't really tell what's involved but as we've experienced you and I have both experienced undergrad and grad school there's so many different growth experiences so many different learning experiences and you change so much over the course of the years even if you don't realize it like I know that now I reflect back on who I was in undergrad and grad school and who I am now and I can pinpoint different growth experiences and different really influential learning experiences and I can see how I've grown so much so I love working with students to be able to help first of all, facilitate that growth process, but also if they're at the end of their academic career, I love helping them. I love helping facilitate insight for them to recognize that growth so that they can carry some of those skills to the future and to work or whatever they choose to do. Mm -hmm. True, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the common things that students come and talk to you about? So as a career counselor, a lot of the common, a lot of the common issues that I see include um, students who just don't know what they want to do after school, like have no idea what kind of career they want to pursue. I see quite a few students who are in first or second year and who are considering switching into a different program because they entered into their program for whatever reason, whether it was uh, familial pressure or just being unsure about what to do and kind of just entering into whatever program. So I see quite a few students looking to switch or looking to figure out what exactly they want to do. Um, I see quite a few students who experience family pressure in relation to what to pursue. So there's a lot of conflict that I see between the students that I see and their parents in regards to what the student wants to pursue versus what they, um, what their parents want them to pursue. That's a really big, a really big one too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would say those are the most common, the most common themes and especially towards the, there's not a whole lot of um, requests for career counseling appointments during the summer, but the appointments that I do have in the summer, I would say the majority of them are in relation to program switching, especially towards the end of the summer when school is about to start. Hmm. True, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to the students who are trying to figure out, let's start with, um, with like switching programs. What kind of um, messages do you give those students? Oof, that's such a good question. It's so, so it's an exploratory process. So it's a process of, first of all, identifying what motivated the student to pursue the current program that they're in. I usually start there to see, well, why are you in your current program? And what is it about your current program that you like or that you dislike? And we try to really evaluate interests and values. So what's valuable to a student? What does a student, what is a student truly interested in? And a lot of the time students are hesitant to share um, hobby interests with me because they think that they're not relevant to 
anything academic or vocational. So they won't, they'll be hesitant to share hobbies, but I tend to encourage students to share any kind of hobbies that they like to do, anything that they're interested in, even slightly, because I think that that's where it starts. It starts with what you're truly interested in and what you value. So if we think about what kind of work students want to do in the future, well, if they want to do um, a certain type of work, if they want to work in a certain type of environment, if they want to work with a certain demographic, we can use that to inform what kind of program to go into. And a lot of the times when people or when students want to switch into programs or switch into different programs and need to figure out which ones, a lot of the time they tend to have an idea of what they want to switch into, but there's a lot of fear preventing them from actually making the switch. So there's not a ton of exploring that goes on because I've noticed most of the time they know they know what they're interested in and they know what they would want to switch into, but they sometimes either need a little bit of a push or they need someone to tell them that it's, it's okay to switch because I think there's quite a bit of stigma around, unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around switching programs, especially if you've done two or three years of, of a program. And I mean, there's stigma, but then there's also financial concerns for some students. There's a lot of factors that go into it. So I would say that we start with exploring why they're in their current program and then um, if they have any ideas of programs to switch into, I get them to list those out for me and then we'll explore each of those programs in, in some depth, including their interests, their disinterests, um, what about the program stood out to them, the one that they want to switch into. So it's, a, it's quite a bit of exploring in some cases and then other cases it's quite obvious what they want to switch into. They just need some validation. Mm -hmm. True. Man, I feel like everything you're saying, it's like, oh God, I totally would have benefited from seeing <laughs> you when I was in university. Um, yeah, because I took kinesiology and I was just like super not into it and I considered switching. But yeah, like everything you're saying about like the stigma of doing it and like the the like added years and money, like it was all mm -hmm. just a lot so I ended up finishing it but I feel like I would have benefited from seeing you for sure <laughs> yeah and I mean it's it's hard because when you've done when you've done two or three years of a program it does naturally feel like a waste to switch into something different especially if what you're switching into is completely different and not related in any way but the reality is if you can afford it and if if you can do it, it's great to do it because education's never wasted. So it does, and I do understand and I empathize with the students who do feel like it is a waste because it does feel, especially like I said, if you're switching into something completely different, it does feel like, well, what am I going to use these past two or three years for to contribute to my current program? But I'm a, like, I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason and everything provides some sort of value to your life in some way, whether the experience was good or bad. So in the future, there might be some benefit. Um, there might be some evidence of benefit of the years in the other program. Um, but I, I truly believe education is never a waste of time. So you learn something, even if it's not something that you'll ultimately use for your work, you still, you, it's still never, it's, it's not a waste in my opinion. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, like, yeah, even for myself, like I ended up finishing kinesiology and I'm not using that education now, but I feel like at least like the friends that I made in that program, like I, I couldn't imagine not being friends with them now. So at least yeah. I got that out of it. 
Yeah, exactly. And it can be a benefit in any way, right? Like you said, it can be friendships, it can be through the education specifically, but there, I can guarantee that there will always be something that you can pull out of the experience that can help you justify that it's not a waste. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you also mentioned a lot of students coming and talking about um, like butting heads with their family or having like um, kind of different views career-wise as their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the kinds of things that you say to those students who are trying to navigate that? Yeah, so that's those are the really tough situations in my personal experience, only because you can't speak for the parents, you can't speak against the parents to the student, you can't, um, obviously you can't display any bias of any kind, you can't as a therapist in any way, shape or form do that, but it's especially it's especially important when there are people involved in your therapy session or your counseling session, but they're not there. So it's important to, to not display bias in any way towards one party or the other, but it's super important to work with, work with the person that you're directly working with. So the student that's in your office, working with, working with them and working with um, what they can do in the situation, as opposed to like hypothetically bringing the parents into the situation and trying to basically, basically have a family, um, family counseling session, but without the parents there, it gets, it's way too complicated and it's not, um, it's not effective. So that's super important. And so what we do is we, we work through communication style. So what is your communication style like with your parents? What is, um, from your perspective as a student, what is the reason that they don't approve of your program or the reason that they don't want you to pursue something specific. So usually what comes up in that conversation is related to culture or values in the family or parental values. And so in that case, a lot of the time it's something that can't be changed or that can't be shifted. And so what we, what we talk through is communication. So how can the student communicate his or her needs with um, with his or her parents without disrespecting them, uh, without disrespecting their culture, without disrespecting their values, but while still being able to communicate their needs to have an open conversation and have open communication with them. And what I found that's been helpful a lot of the time is to ensure that the student comes to a decision, a, a, um, a confident decision well before speaking to his or her parents about the decision. So I tell the students that parents just want the best for their kids and they just want to, they just want to know that their kids are um, happy and successful and secure. And so sometimes that comes out um, in different ways, right? Like depending on the parents, depending on the family, it can come out in, in different ways, but parents like to, and I can't speak for all parents and I can't generalize, but based on my experience with the students that I've talked to, parents like to see facts and they like to see a plan just so that they know that um, their, their, um, their son or daughter has thought everything through and knows what they're doing and feels confident in their decision. Um, so yeah, we work through, we work through what the student 
truly wants through exercises that assess their interests, skills, and values to help them get to a point where they can conf confidently talk to their parents or anyone about what their next step is and about what they want to do. And then we talk about how they can communicate that information with their parents using um, using the the research that they found and using the points that they've come up with to help themselves become confident so that their parents have something concrete to look at to say like okay this this information makes sense this information makes sense and so it's not it's not so much of a gray area for them it's more of a black and white area and that helps both parties to be confident in the decision as opposed to the student communicating with the parents and being kind of wishy-washy about what they want to do and unsure about how they want to proceed. Of course, parents are probably, and again, I can't speak for all parents, but they're pro a red flag is probably going to pop up and they might think, oh, you know, my son or daughter's not really sure about what they want to do. So how can we be sure that it's the best decision for them? So I've found um, in the students that I've worked with that what's best is to help them get to a point where they're most confident in what they want to do. And then that way they can communicate the, the facts and the information to their parents to help them be confident. Hmm. I feel like, again, you're like describing everything that I like needed to hear in my <laughs> undergrad. Um, yeah. Cause my parents like pressured me super hard to like pursue the health field and mm -hmm. I think they, they just like wanted me to become a doctor, which I feel like a lot of parents want for their kids. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I would go to like and get uh, career help. I didn't talk to a career counselor, I talked to like a career advisor and she just presented me with a bunch of different options, but all of them I was so like unsure about because I was just like weighing out like, hmm, what would my parents want me to do instead mm -hmm. of just like figuring mm -hmm. out what I wanted. Um, but yeah, I feel like when I became more confident in my decision, which was to end up um, going to school for journalism, then my parents like were like they found it easier to get on board than before when I um, was a little bit less sure. So I feel like, yeah, everything you're saying about being more confident like that is definitely helpful in getting your parents to be on your side. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example, actually, of of what I was saying. That's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's true. Like parents, like I said, they want to, they want to see that you'll be secure and they want the best for you. And if it's, it's hard to, it's hard for them to be confident in that when you don't seem confident in that. And you're, you're kind of going back and forth with different options. And I mean, it's totally, it's not to say that you can't talk to your parents about the decisions that you're making, but it's dependent on the relationship, right? So every relationship is different and it's important to kind of gauge that relationship to, to, to think to yourself, well, what will, what will the best case scenario look like when talking to my parents? Will it stress them out and ultimately stress me out to talk through the decision-making process with them step-by-step step, or is it best to work it out on my own and then present them with the with kind of the end result information. And like I said, that's based on the relationship and students can gauge that relationship themselves. I'm absolutely not in a position to gauge that relationship. So that I put on the students to gauge and then we work through it with just us, right? Like we don't, we don't bring the, the parents into it because that's not, it's not feasible. Unless the parents want to come in. I did have, um, I did have a session with a student and 
his parent and that was of course the student had to provide consent for the parent to to come to the session but that's definitely a possibility if the student is okay with it but ultimately i'm working with the student to develop that confidence to to communicate hmm, interesting how is that going like with having the the parent there it was definitely a learning experience for me only because it was within the first few months of my job. So again, I didn't, I didn't receive training in career counseling when I was a student. So to have kind of a family counseling career appointment within my first few months was um, definitely a steep learning curve for me, but it was a really re rewarding experience because it really highlighted the, well, first and foremost, it highlighted the, um, the child parent relationship in in that certain scenario so it it highlighted that in the sense that it provided me with a lot of information that helped support my sessions with the student later on and it helped me better understand their relationship and um it i thought it was a good opportunity for the student and the parent to kind of communicate openly with an external person involved to help mediate the conversation mm -hmm. But yeah, overall, I would say it was, it was, it was interesting. It was definitely a learning experience and it was the only, only one I've had so far. So mm -hmm. true. I'm trying to picture like, what would that have been like with like me and my mom and one of those <laughs> sessions back in university? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. I can say the student didn't, didn't feel totally comfortable, but mm -hmm. they consented to, to the parent being there. So yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, career counseling would just be so helpful. Like, I'm glad that I, for myself, like, I was able to figure it out, but I feel like having someone like you would have definitely, like, accelerated that and, like, made it a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the, like, there's, there's stigma in everything, right, as you know, but especially when it comes to mental health or therapy or counseling of any kind, there's definitely a lot of stigma and hesitancy attached. So that would be like, I did my, so I told you I did my master's thesis. I looked at the help seeking behavior of post-secondary students. So I looked at what um, promotes and prevents students from seeking help on campus in relation to their mental health. And one of the top four um, the top four reasons for students not seeking help on campus was stigma and surprisingly it wasn't the it wasn't the top the top rated um, Thing that prevents students from seeking help the top rated one based on my research was not enough advertisement of services on campus, which was super surprising to me um, now that I'm working on a post-secondary campus. It's not overly surprising, but at the time, it seemed really surprising that stigma wasn't even in the top three, it was in the top four. Mm -hmm. But um, anyways, the point of what I'm saying is I've, I've spoken to quite a few students who will ask me if our conversations will go on record or will be on their transcript or anything like that. So it's definitely, stigma is definitely something that still exists, but I agree with you. I think if I had seen a career counselor in undergrad, it would have been it would have been helpful to like just to have someone to talk to about what my plan was i mean i had a plan i knew what i wanted to do which isn't the case for everybody it's actually more common for students i think to not know what to do after school um but yeah i kind of wish that i too had seen someone just to talk through 
my plan to have someone validate my plan and let me know that I was making the right decisions. I mean, your parents can tell you that, but I feel like a lot of the time we're more likely to listen to someone else. <laughs> yeah. Someone who's like not invested. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Someone who's objective for sure. Yeah. Very interesting about Sigma not being the top one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I work in communications at university, so I'll have to make sure that, uh, that uh, like communicating the services that are available, make sure that we vamp that up since that was the number one issue. Yeah, yeah, it was advertising was the first one, advertising of services. I think promoting of services was one of them as well. And then wait lists was also one of them. True. One of the top four. So wait lists is very evidently, very evidently an issue, but mm-hmm. it's hard because of space and budget and all that, so. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot ah, of factors. So many things. Mm-hmm. So many things at play. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So do you have any, uh, like, general advice for students or even older people who are still uncertain about their careers and are trying to figure it out? I think that my biggest piece of advice would be to really think about not analyze, but I like to use the word explore and evaluate. Evaluate where you're at and is where you're at meeting your needs. And if you can't answer that question, it might be a good time to explore and evaluate your needs and what those look like and how those can contribute to ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. And really investing in learning about yourself. So a lot of the work that I do relates to self-assessment for students. So a lot of the sessions, the bulk of a lot of my sessions are self-assessment related. So doing activities and giving students tools to help them learn about themselves in relation to what they're interested in, what do they value? So what kind of things are non-negotiable for them in work? Um, What kind of things do they value in a workplace? And thinking really deeply about those kind of things and then thinking about their skills. So what kind of things are you good at? What kind of things do you want to become good at? And what kind of opportunities can help satisfy both of those things? So really, really, really taking time to learn about yourself and to learn whether or not what you're currently doing is meeting your needs. If you, if you are someone who's, um, who's in, in a job or in something looking to switch out of it for whatever reason, really evaluating the needs piece I think is really important. Um, but ultimately you want to be able to identify what will bring you the most satisfaction and fulfillment, what will contribute to your fulfillment and what does fulfillment look like for you and how can, how can work or how can school satisfy that fulfillment. And it's also important to consider that work isn't the only thing that can contribute to fulfillment, right? So we, we as humans, no, no matter what stage we're at, we have different pools and we'll always have different pools in our lives. So we'll have our work pool, our hobby pool, our religious pool, spiritual pool, interpersonal pool. We have all of these pools that make us who we are. And when we're in school, we tend to identify most, and this is completely normal, and I, I did this as well because how can you not? We identify most with our education pool and our student pool, and we identify kind of solely as a student. So what I encourage students to do is to think of their other pools and think about how if 
example, pursue something that they absolutely love to do in their career for whatever reason, how can they, how can they do whatever they love to do in some of their other pools? That way they're not completely losing what they want, want to do or what they love to do. They're still able to do it, but they recognize that work isn't the only way to pursue what you love to pursue. And I think that goes for people at, at any age, really, like work is super important and everyone values each, each life pool differently. Um, but it's important to recognize, to check in with yourself and to recognize what you need and are your needs being met at this current time? And if they're not, how can I learn more about myself to, to make sure that those needs are met? And I mean, they can connect with me at any time. I can help them through that, but a couple a couple questions that I can leave you with that might be helpful for people at any stage would be, they're simple questions, but they're not questions that we tend to, to think about. So they're questions in related to interest. So when you think about something that you're interested in, as opposed to just identifying that you're interested in something or disinterested in something, why are you interested in what you're interested in and really trying to break it down. So what is it about something that's appealing to you? And what is it about something else that's not appealing to you? So breaking things down in that way to try to, again, learn about yourself a little bit more and help identify where you want to go based on what you know about yourself, because it's super important to connect yourself to whatever you do, as opposed to solely connect your degree to whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Hmm. True. I feel like that's something I um, have and kind of still do struggle with a little bit. Like when you talk about the different kind of pools, I feel mm-hmm. like I've always put so much weight in the career pool um, mm-hmm. because it takes up so much of your time, like 40 exactly. hours of your week. So it's a, it's a lot of pressure, I feel. Exactly. No, it's true. It's so true. And It's not to say that you don't have to place value in that, right? Like it makes sense if that's what takes up the most time in your life, then it's hard to delegate your interests into other areas, but it's about balance. So if your needs are met through um, focusing mostly on the career pool, then that's great. It's about, it's really about tapping into yourself and learning about yourself and asking yourself, how am I doing currently? Are my needs being met currently? And if they are, then that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I also like how, like everything you're saying, it's a, it's a lot about focusing on yourself and your own needs. Like when, back when I was lost and trying to figure it all out, I feel like a part of the reason why I was so unsure was, yeah, like I said before, I was just so focused on like, oh, what would my parents say and what would they want? And mm-hmm. I feel like it wasn't until I was like, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about, no offense, mom and dad, about what you want and try to zero in on what I want. It wasn't until I did that, that I was able to kind of get some more clarity. Yeah. And that's hard to do. As you probably know, it's not it's not easy, especially if you really value your parents' opinion or that relationship is super important to you. Like it's, it's hard to do. So it's, it's, you do it at your own pace, right? Like you get to a point where you're comfortable making decisions for yourself and for your own needs. And that's not to, to say that you have to dismiss your parents' needs or your parents' wishes. Um, but it's just shifting the focus, right? It's not dismissing anything. It's just shifting. Yeah, for sure. Um, any advice for people who are just dealing with the stresses and anxieties of it all? 
like how to cope with the the um yeah like the stress of figuring this all out yeah so i would say well now things are especially stressful and anxiety inducing just because of the current climate so it's really important to it's it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but it's really important to take care of yourself. And I find it's really helpful to take things day by day. So if you have a goal and you're finding the goal is incredibly overwhelming, think about how you can break down the goal into smaller sub goals and how can you work to achieve the small sub goals that eventually lead up to the bigger goal. So if you even need to break it down further, what can you do on a daily basis that contributes to the goal. What can you do if you want to, like I said, break that down further, you can break it down hour by hour. So what in this hour do I want to accomplish? What in this hour do I want to accomplish? And that way you're working slowly towards a big goal if that's what's overwhelming. Um, in relation to in relation to kind of just general anxiety or general stress that might be that might be um, detrimental or negatively contributing to anyone, I would, um, I would say that it's important to recognize that thoughts are not facts. So there are thousands of thoughts that we'll have on a daily basis and it's impossible for us to get rid of thoughts. We wouldn't be humans if we didn't have any thoughts. We wouldn't be human if we didn't have stress or anxiety. So from an evolutionary perspective, stress or anxiety is um, completely normal. But if we're finding that we're allowing our thoughts to kind of take over our behavior and influence, influence, influence us in ways that isn't um, functional for us, then it all begins with recognizing that thoughts are not facts. And one of my favorite ways to help kind of bring this point home is it's a tool that is, it allows you to kind of thank your brain for a thought. So if you have a certain thought that comes up, you can say, you can externalize the thought by saying, thank you brain for the thought. And then another exercise that's really helpful or that could be really helpful is writing down the thoughts that come to mind, those thoughts that are negatively influencing you and prefacing those thoughts with, I'm having the thought that whatever, and then whatever the thought is. So that helps to kind of depersonalize the thoughts that you might be having and helps externalize them and helps uh, bring the point home that thoughts are not facts, but they're just these things that come up as a, as a response to different situations, different circumstances, but they're not the same things as feelings. So feelings and emotions are internal. They're within us. Thoughts are not facts. So thoughts are something that are separate from us and it's important to, to realize that to help mitigate some of the stress or anxiety that we might be feeling. And I mean, we could do a whole other podcast on managing stress and anxiety, <laughs> but <laughs> that I think is my, my take home point. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I feel like I need that. Thoughts are not facts. I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And we don't, we don't realize it. Like we, have a tendency to internalize thoughts the way that we internalize feelings because no one tells us that our thoughts are not the same things as our feelings. So a lot of the students that I see when I ask, not a lot, but um, when I see students and I say, how are you feeling? I'll get a response such as, um, I think I'm going to fail a test, for example, or I don't think I'm gonna get the job. And that's not a feeling, that's a thought. 
So feelings that could be associated with that thought, with those thoughts um, might include fear, doubt, uh, sadness, stress. Those are feelings, but the I'm not going to get a job is not a feeling. That's a thought. So if we, if we preface that with I'm having the thought that I'm not going to get the job, that helps us externalize that thought, separate it from our feelings and recognize, okay, there's actually no evidence to support that thought. It's not a fact. It's just something that's come up because I don't know, let's say I'm in a stressful situation or um, I had a bad day or I submitted a job application and I didn't hear back within a couple days, for example. Um, for whatever reason, that thought popped up, but that thought is not a fact. It's, it may or may not be true. We don't know, but a lot of the time there's not evidence to support the thoughts that pop up. And so it's important to, to preface them. I'm having the thought that I won't get the job as opposed to I won't get the job because I won't get the job. That thought might influence our behavior in some negative way. So maybe we stop applying for jobs. Maybe we stop looking for jobs, whatever it may be. Whereas when we preface it, I'm having the thought with I'm having the thought that that might help change our behavior because it'll help change our relationship with that thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, kind of similar. My therapist uh, encouraged me to like in my head to try to start talking to myself like in third person. Um, and to kind of try to disconnect myself, like similar to what you're saying to the thoughts and mm -hmm. um, try to talk to myself as if like I'm my friend instead of um, just like the mean self-talk that I'm used to practicing. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I found that to be really helpful. But yeah, that's definitely good advice like to, to kind of create that separation. Yeah, and I love that perspective of talking to yourself in the third person. I think that's really cool. And again, yeah, that helps externalize it and feel less personal. And that has to do with compassion as well too, which is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Externalizing it definitely helps. And I just like tried to think like, okay, like the way I would talk to like one of my good friends, like trying to talk to myself that way. And it's just, it makes a big difference because I would not say the mean things to my friends that I say to myself. Mm. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, I just have a few more questions. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've quite enjoyed this conversation. I feel like it's what I needed to hear and also now what I'm needing to hear right now. Oh, I'm glad. I've enjoyed it too. You're so wise. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so I just have two more questions. But before I get to those, um, is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about at all? Oh, no, no, no. I honestly, I don't want to talk too much because I feel like it'll be, I don't want to take over the time. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good conversation. I feel like it will be helpful for people for sure. Yeah, that's true. No, I don't. I think, I think for now, no, no, nothing okay. new to add. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, my last two questions, I've been asking um, everybody I talk to these. Um, so the first one is, what is something that you've been learning lately? Ooh, that's a really good question. Ooh, so without getting too, too deep, I've been learning a lot about myself lately. So I recently got engaged and 
purchased a house with my fiance and we recently adopted two little kittens. So I'm learning a ton about myself and about what I want in the future and about what I need as a partner and as a family member. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, <laughs> congratulations too. So many exciting things. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Yeah, thank you. It's been just a whirlwind of stuff, but it's been it's been overwhelming, but exciting for sure. So I think I've been taking a lot of time to reflect and process what's going on. And in that process, I've been learning so much about myself. And um, like even through having two kittens, I've been learning about parenthood and if parenthood is something that's in the cards for me. And um, I've been learning about, I know like I'm not a mother, I just have cats, but I'm learning a lot about my tendencies as a caregiver, which is something that I'm not used to. So I'm currently in the process of that. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. So many things. Yeah. Um, Cool. And then the last question is, what is the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? Oh, that's also a really good question. I would say, hmm. The biggest lesson, okay, the biggest lesson that I've learned so far is that it doesn't matter the time it takes for you to get to where you want to go. It's the journey that's most important. So um, I learned this mainly when this was kind of a turning point for me when I didn't get into my master's the first time. And I had considered and I actually put down a deposit and signed all the papers to pursue a master's program in Vancouver. And I was supposed to start that the in September and in the middle of August, I bailed on it and decided I didn't want to do it and like lost the deposit, lost all that money. But I realized that the reason that I had originally committed to pursuing that was because I wanted my path to be linear and I didn't want to take a year off and I wanted everything to pan out the way that I thought it should pan out. But ultimately, so I didn't pursue the program in Vancouver, obviously. And so I took that year off instead and reapplied to Western. And that year off was as a, um, was the best year of my life, I would say. Um, besides last year, which is the year like I graduated and got a job and got engaged. But I would say that the year that I took off was super valuable in teaching me that you, you can be veered off of your path and you can change your plan, but your dream doesn't have to change. So the plan can change, the dream doesn't have to, and the dream shouldn't just because the plan changes. So I would say that, I would say that's the most valuable lesson I've learned. Hmm, I love that. That's a good one. Thanks. Yeah, it's, I like it too. I think it's really important because I see quite a few students who are really concerned about things taking longer than they should. And they're concerned quite a bit about, um, like, even if it's not financially related, it's just about what they think should take a certain amount of time. And um basically what's the, it's it's a lot about what the pressure that society puts on us is i don't know if that sentence made sense but it's a lot about societal pressure right and what we should be doing and if we should 
be going to school, then getting married, then buying a house and having kids. Like there's this, there's this idea that society has um, implemented and created and kind of pressures us to uphold. And so when we don't achieve things at a certain time or when we choose to do something out of that order, there's a lot of fear involved and there's a lot of self-doubt involved. But my piece of advice to anyone who's experiencing any of those feelings in relation to doing things out of order or taking more times to do things is identify what your dream is. And if your plan changes on your way to that dream, then keep on going. Embrace the changes, embrace the embrace the uncertainty, embrace the out of orderness. And as long as you're confident in the dream and you know that the dream is what you truly want, then the path on the way there is just, it's an added bonus really. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. I'm going to turn that whole quote into um, something for Instagram. (laughs) I'm going to make it visual because that was really nice. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, no, I really, I really like it. It's, it's important and it's hard to, it's hard to get to a point where, you recognize that like you might have to go through some hardships you might have to go through a little self-doubt a lot of self-doubt and there will always be fear involved in anything that you do that is important to you there will always be fear involved but it's just about recognizing the amount of power you're giving the fear and not giving fear enough power to shift the dream mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very true and very true about like so the societal pressures. I feel like, yeah, when I was in high school, I thought by the time I was 27, like my life would be very different than it is now, but, mm-hmm. but whatever, you got to accept it as it is Yeah, and not exactly. rush yourself. Exactly. Exactly. There's no, no, no reason to rush and it's, yeah, get to where you want to go at your pace and who cares what society says is normal. Do do it in whatever order you want. Take your time. Do what's best for you. That way you don't have regrets and you don't resent anyone. You don't resent yourself. And ultimately, you're getting to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. <laughs> cool. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. This conversation has been great. I feel like it would definitely be helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. 